Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. When Jesus tells the disciples in the Gospel reading today that we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man is going to be handed over to his enemies and mocked and beaten and spit upon and put to death, and then will rise again after three days. And the disciples didn't understand what he was saying <laughs> because it had been hidden from them. Let's pray that um, God doesn't hide from us today the uh, message that we're supposed to receive, um, that we are blessed with slightly thinner skulls than the, the apostles seemed to have at the time. Um, that is amazing to me. What, uh, what the apostles also had hidden from them in the beginning of this um, action that we hear in the gospel is the purpose of going to Jerusalem. Jesus told them what they were going to do and they didn't get it, but they also seemed to not get why they were going to do it. Thankfully, though, in our epistle reading today, St. Paul gives us an explicit teaching form what Jesus was not even that implicitly, but somewhat more implicitly trying to show and teach and lead and guide the disciples into, which is love. Or, according to the um, translation that we heard, charity, caritas. We get this translation um, tradition in the King James Version that we read all the time of using the word charity instead of love. And this actually goes all the way back to um, St. Jerome, who chose in translating from the Greek into the first Latin translation of a lot of these scriptures that there was, the term caritas instead of amor in Latin. Just like in Greek, in Latin, there were many words for love. And uh, there was more of a connotation of uh, a service kind of love, caritas. That's why St. Jerome chose that. And so I think it's a good word for us to use too, except that now it has been kind of sapped of a lot of its thickness and richness because we think it just means, you know, giving alms, essentially, giving some money to the poor, charity work. But charity, caritas, is a really, really uh, good, broad, gravitas type word. It implies a whole lot, and it it's uh, far-reaching and, and spreads into all kinds of different aspects and areas of life. Whereas love, well, love is so overused, it's almost been sapped of its meaning too. And so uh, maybe we should just go back and use the Latin caritas. I don't know. Because it doesn't strike our hearts the way it should. <laughs> when St. Paul in the epistle today is describing what caritas is, this is, this is what we should understand. I know this passage, we've probably uh, been to a wedding, you know, at some point and heard this passage read. It's popularly used, especially here in the United States. Um, interestingly, it's not the appointed passage in the uh, nuptial mass that we use. Um, so this isn't, you won't hear this if you come to a wedding here. This is, um, this is not the passage we use because it's not primarily speaking about the love between a man and a woman, um, it, it includes that. It does, but it's so much broader. And so it's strange to, to limit it to that kind of scope and to attach this passage to a wedding in our minds. So let's, let's 
revisit this and try to open it up a little bit so that we can understand what the caritas is that St. Paul is describing. First of all, he's clearly addressing these Corinthians who think that they know things. They think they have some wisdom. Uh, they think they have certain gifts. They're proud of the tongues that a few of them have been speaking, and they, uh, they are proud of the apparent knowledge that they think they have. And so addressing this, St. Paul is reminding them what they really need. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not caritas, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. All right, fair enough. You need caritas uh, in order to, to make speaking in tongues worth anything. What about this? If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as that I can remove a mountain from one place to another, like Jesus said, if you have a little bit of faith, you can tell the mountain to move. Obviously, St. Paul knew the Lord's words very well, and he references that. And he says, if I have the kind of faith that can do that, but have not caritas, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not caritas, I gain nothing from it. How could anyone have the kind of prophetic powers or the sort of faith or the sort of uh, willingness uh, to be delivered up to martyrdom and not have caritas? Well, apparently, it's a, it's a possibility. It's something that <laughs> Paul says, I, I, this is... These are so intricately linked. Caritas is at the very foundation of everything that if you have all this other stuff and are missing that foundation, it's all totally worthless. Now we get into that rhythm, that poetic uh, description of love that we all are familiar with. Love, caritas, is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Okay, so this description is, I think, here's where uh, it might start to poke at us a little bit. I have never had the kind of faith that can remove mountains. So that first bit that he's describing, if you know you have all this stuff and don't have charity, you don't have anything. Okay, well. Maybe, maybe I do have charity, even if I don't have the love, so I'm good to go, right? But then he starts describing things that uh, maybe I don't have, like patience and kindness. Because if I had true caritas, I would be patient and kind all the time. It's not jealous. Oh, I've never been jealous in my life. It's not boastful. Arrogant? Yes. Rude? Yes. Uh, it doesn't insist on its own way. I do a lot. It's not irritable. Ah, it's not resentful. Paul, it doesn't rejoice at wrongs. Have you ever looked up someone that you just really can't stand um, and you see that some, something happened to them? Um, there's, there, there was a certain South Park episode, not that I watched that or recommend anyone else watch it, but it's, it made the news recently because it referenced uh, a few people that uh, suddenly everyone has decided it's okay to rejoice um, at their, uh, I don't know, whatever. It, it's, it can be easy to rejoice it wrong, but it rather rejoices in the right. 
Caritas would rejoice at the um, healing of those people that we would like to see fall sometimes. It bears all things. Bears all things? It believes all things. Well, this is strange. Is this saying that in order to, to have charity, you need to be credulous and just believe everything? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is if you're refusing to believe something because you don't have love for someone or something, if, if a lack of love prevents you from believing the truth, that's, that's the problem. You have to uh, have caritas in order to believe all truth. He's not saying don't believe something that's unreasonable to believe, but believe everything that is presented to you as, as true. And I've had a condition of heart that has prevented me from believing what I now believe to be true in the past. So that's a thing. It hopes all things. How can, how can we have hope unless we have love? How can we hope in anything good unless our hearts are already looking for the goodness of ourselves, others, and God? And it endures all things. It never ends. All those other gifts, the prophecies, the tongues, the knowledge, all the things that the Corinthians seem to be proud about, they end. There's nothing to prophesy when you're dead. There's nothing to, uh, to know that no one else knows when the world ends and everything's laid bare before us all and we stand naked before the unalterable truth and there's nothing but the truth and us. There's nothing more to know then. Knowledge will be given to us. It's, there's, no, there's no hidden veil that we have to work hard to penetrate. There's no understanding that we have to work at to, to penetrate the, you know, the truths of the, the universe. No, we'll see everything. And all that's then worthless. All of the, the sciences, <laughs> all of the, the hard work that people put in to you know, advance their knowledge in this way or that, it comes to an end. In fact, everything in this world comes to an end except one thing, love, caritas. That's why Paul's saying it's good to have faith and it's good to have hope, but even faith and hope come to an end because hope ends in what we end up seeing. Faith, well, there's no, there's no faith to be had anymore once the world ends and God is standing before us as our judge and... <laughs> Everything ends except for caritas. What's left after everything? Love. The love of God. And our love for ourselves, our neighbor, and for God. That's all that we end up having. That's all that we are as creatures. That's all that we can give. We'll have no possessions. We'll have no time. We'll have no knowledge to boast of. All we have is caritas. And so... When Jesus told the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem so that these things can happen, they didn't understand it, and they certainly didn't understand the purpose of it. They didn't know that the mission that they were on now was driven by love. The purpose of it all was love. It was God loving us so much that he was going to share our fate. He was going to take our death upon himself to enter into the deepest, darkest places that a human soul could go and to lift those souls back up to where he is. 
So love was the purpose. They didn't get that. They knew that there was some gravitas, right, to this. They, they, they probably perceived that this is a big, important thing that we're on our way to do. And so imagine this, this solemn train of the disciples and, and a larger crowd marching, you know, past Jericho toward Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all this pomp and gravitas, there's, there's a cry coming from the side of the road. And it's grating. It doesn't match the uh, it doesn't match the season. It doesn't match the attitude. Like we're doing something important here. Can someone shut that guy up? And they try to. But Jesus doesn't. He stops. And he has the man brought to him. And he asks, What do you want me to do? He said, I'd like to receive my sight. And the man had faith that he could receive his sight from Jesus. And that faith is what healed him, Jesus says. But there's also something more, something greater than the man's faith. It was the caritas of Jesus himself. Jesus loved the man, and so he stopped and attended to him. And this is what the disciples didn't get. Love was driving the whole procession already. And so, of course, love will stop it. Because love is the thing binds it all together. It's what makes Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is the personification of love. And so the disciples learned this lesson, hopefully. Surely they learned it because they're telling the story. Later, they record it, you know, in the gospel. And they're like, we didn't get it then, but we certainly get it now. Love is what was doing this whole thing. And so as we begin Lent this week, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Remember that like everything else in the church, in our life together, in the calendar, Lent is love. What's the season of Advent about? Love. What's the season of Christmas about? Love. What's the season of Epiphany about? Love. And now we move into a new season, and wouldn't you know it, it's all about love. It's about intensified love, love that helps to train us to love ourselves, as Father Ben was saying last Sunday, love ourselves. It's what the fasting does. It helps us to love ourselves better, love others. That's what the almsgiving is. Love God. That's what the extra prayer is about. Lent is about love. It's a training so that when we reach Easter, the pinnacle of the the demonstration of God's love for us, we understand it. We're not caught off guard like the apostles on their march to Jerusalem by love. When we see it, we will recognize it because we already have it. So that's what this season is about. After Mass today, uh, because it's going to be difficult to have a a Shrove Tuesday uh, thing, we're going to take some time. Father Ben's going to be around and we'll have an opportunity to come and make our sacramental confession before the beginning of Lent. So I encourage you to do that, not because uh, you're dirty and you need to be cleaned up. I mean, it's true enough. We all are. All, all of our souls need, need a, a good washing. But because we need to learn to love ourselves. And the way that we can start doing that is to admit the things that we've put in ourselves that don't need to be there. And if we put our ship right, then we can sail 
better with each other, you know, toward the destination without running into each other or breaking down along the way. This is not about just you. It's also about your love for everyone else. Your confession puts you in better community and relationship with everyone else in this church so that communally we can all have a good Lent together and travel and, and um, learn to love together, learn to love each other. So I hope, just like our collect makes very clear today, that you are now grasping the point of all of this is caritas, love. Let's let that sink into us as deeply as possible and learn what that means. Let's let go of our desire for special gifts or knowledge or possessions or anything else except for love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.